Okay, I'm starting the recording. But you can just start it and she's doing Mm-hmm. That would be good. I mean, like a week, a week in March. We could do like a weekend in March yeah, or April. Yeah, like commit to a month and then see how the class, like how many people are coming. Because it's just like, wow. Yeah. So I guess we could think about what we wanted to teach. I'll touch base with him just to kind of. Yeah. Yeah, see what he wants to teach or maybe tell him we were. Well, because the thirty seven practice of Bodhisattva, ask him, does he want to teach it on Wednesdays to the smaller group or Tuesdays like last year? Okay. Um, or maybe he would teach like emptiness to us on Wednesdays or something. Yeah, that'd be cool. But I don't know, do we need to ask him like for a specific text or can we just say teach us about emptiness and he would? It could be the diamond, the diamond cutter sutra. Yeah. So maybe see if he would teach us the diamond cutter sutra. Okay. On Wednesdays? Like a month or something. Yeah. And then we would start with 31 parts, like in May. Yeah, on Tuesdays. In May or June. Okay. I think Lama Ami gets out of retreat in the middle of April. I think April 12th. Is that mm. on my calendar? And then she like is back and then she goes right back into retreat for like a month. Yeah. Is that the Okay. Doing the battles in April? Hmm? She's doing the battles. No, when I mean it's possible if people request it and she has the time, but some point she will. She'll do the ceremony. I think she will be back in June. I think I have. I think that's what Mark said. Okay. Was like June. She's like out and she's. Okay, we just went through the 20 secondary mental afflictions. And um, we I think we talked about this last week too, but Master Shanti Deva says, I want you all to go out and develop hatred and attachment to what? Separation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to destroying our mental afflictions and hatred for the mental afflictions. So when I notice one, and I'm like, mental affliction. Developing the hatred, yeah, I do that visual sort of, uh -huh. but then it's like, you just say, like, how do you practice that? Like, I hate you, because that doesn't always feel good. <laughs> like, oh! Like, I'm going to destroy you with wisdom. You can think of oh, karma and emptiness. Oh, wisdom, okay, mm -hmm. that feels better to me. And it's okay to have hatred towards them, too, though. I'm going to destroy, I hate That's you, what he's saying. destroy you with wisdom. Because, like we were talking about, they're, they've caused us to suffer yeah. for time with no beginning. They're uh, causing our sickness, old age, death, every unhappiness. It's okay to hate them. They're total tricks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the point of the verse where Master Shanti Deva is talking about this, is that it's fine to love Buddhism and also to love making war or waging war against mental afflictions. It's very good to get angry at your jealousy. And then once you've kicked them out of your mind, you don't have to do it anymore. You won't have to fight them anymore. 
And then Master Shantideva gets into, is it possible to actually beat the mental afflictions? Is it possible? Are we going to beat them and then they'll build up again and fight again some, some other way? Will they regroup or is it possible to wipe them out permanently? And he goes into this, to where the afflictions abide. And if, so if we think that all the afflictions come from ignorance, which is seeing things as self-existent, or a mistaken state of mind, misperception, misunderstanding, focusing on the world in a way that's not real, all bad thoughts are based on this one mental affliction, which is misinterpreting your world. So because of that, they can be removed from our mind stream when we reach nirvana. Once you cut the root, they'll completely be gone. They cannot come back. The rawest forms of liking and disliking are predicated on misunderstanding your world. If you don't misunderstand, then you can't get those mental afflictions. And out of six stages of mental afflictions growing, it's ignorance in the seed form that you carry into your next life. Even in the womb, it starts to grow. <laughs> Ultimately, you have to be able to remove the seeds as well. And all mental affliction depends on thinking that things are self-existent. All of them depend on that. Then Master Shantideva talks about, well, is there some place where they could hide? Could they go anywhere else? If you cut their home base, um, you know, like we're trying to get rid of the ants. Are they just going to pop up in the closet? We put chili powder on the windowsill and they're in the closet. Mm -hmm. Is that what the mental afflictions are going to do? Could they hang out in some other part of your being? And so this is like a logical proof, which we've gone through a little bit. We'll go through more in um, some of the higher courses. And he goes through three possibilities. And these, sometimes they seem obvious, but it's really helpful in, in solidifying in our mind that it is possible to get rid of them to go through this. There's three possible places where mental afflictions can reside. In your mind, in the outer objects that we perceive, and in the, sense, the senses doing the perceiving. Number one, say suk sok yulamine. Suk sok yulamine. Suk sok yulamine. Suk sok yulamine. And that's in the outer world. Could they hide or park in the objects for a while and then attack you later? <laughs> <laughs> So Master Shanti Deva is going through all the possibilities and we're eliminating all of them one by one. Basically, no, it's not possible. And the question is, the question that comes up, can our hearts get mental afflictions? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, because they've eliminated mental afflictions permanently. Oh, I got confused about what Yeah. Aria, 
is when they've seen emptiness directly, yeah. If mental affliction somehow by nature resided in the outside world, not in our mind, but in the outside world, then everyone would be infected by them, including our hearts. And it's not true, because some people can look at outer objects and not have a mental affliction. You can think of um, the most annoying person in your world. There's somebody who looks at them and doesn't have a mental affliction. Wait, is this saying that the mental affliction is in the object, and because it's in the object, it's forcing us to see it? It's not saying like it's just waiting out there and then it comes back into our mind at some point. Um, yes, it's okay. saying that afflictions cannot be based in the outer objects. Okay. Like how we think they are. Yeah. I thought it meant like you hung out somewhere and like hid and then like... It does like, mean that. And like... <laughs> <laughs> or something. It does mean that in a certain way, but it's not... Uh, I don't think it's like... That it's it, more like self-existence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to get rid of them, but then they're going to be hiding in those objects and attack or something. The second option... Say mik sok wang po la mine. Mik sok wang po la mine. Mik sok wang po la mine. Okay, they're not in your mind. If they aren't in your mind, maybe they're in an object. That's what we just went over. Colors, shapes, sounds. But then our hearts would have to get mental afflictions too. But what if they could hide out in your sense powers, like your visual optic nerve or in your ear um, or in the power of touch? What if they could do that? This is kind of reminds me of that creepy movie with Denzel Washington where he'd like, you touch someone and like this demon takes over the body. Do you guys remember this? Oh, it's it's an old movie. I don't watch movies like this anymore, but yeah, it's like you if you brush up against someone, this like demon takes over your mind. It like jumps from person to person. That's what this reminds me of. So if you get them out of your mind, they cannot stay even in a latent state anywhere else. Anyone perceiving emptiness still has their sense powers but they cannot have a mental affliction. The afflictions can't reside in the senses, therefore. And Buddhists have sense powers too, right? Mm-hmm. They have like a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> like everything is. Yeah. Everything is everything. <laughs> and Master Shanti Deva is still talking about a war. If you can get them out of your mind, there's nowhere else they can go. They cannot regroup and come back. So the third option, which, you know, maybe these are objections that come up or something. Third option, maybe in our mind, that we might think. Say, bar la mine. Bar la mine. Bar la mine. Bar la mine. So therefore, there's no place else for them to go. I love these lists because it's like sometimes the last one is really just the conclusion not actually part of the list, but it just seems to make so much sense. 
Um, if they're not in the outer world or in your mind or in the sense powers, which are linking the mind and the outer world, then there's no place else for them to exist. And they've been completely eliminated with no basis to ever return and rise again. He's proving that you can defeat them permanently, and we should be really happy about this. Once they're eliminated from your mind, they're gone forever, because where do they come from? Right. They're not coming from anywhere else. And at this point, Geshe-la, he says, we're, we're cruising through the Bodhisattva Charya Avatara at about 10 times the normal speed, um, but we're getting all the main things, all the main things out of it. So I think usually they're studying this 10 times slower, 10 times longer. Now we're going to get to the six perfections. So, the mental afflictions are in the mind, and so if you destroy them, I guess, because I feel like, I think I destroy something, but it still happens, like, right, it's still coming up, it's like, ah, I'm done with this forever, but then it's still, like, it's still happening, right? Mm Mm-hmm does feel that way which is why I think this proof is like so spot on because Mm -hmm. even if it's not exactly this we do have that sense that they're out there and they're going to attack us still but that's where purification comes in and at a certain point they will be all gone I know because sometimes something will happen and I think I've like purified it and then like a year later or like two years later it's like oh that came up again that's Mm-hmm. That I was, you know, like very specific things that I really intentionally purified. Yeah. And it like came up again. I was like, oh, I guess it didn't quite the way I thought that. But then also too, I probably purified things when they really are destroyed. I just forgot because they're not coming up anymore. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we might label something as being the same, but it mm-hmm. might be a, it might not actually be. Yeah. Like it like, could be different. Yeah, it's like the same situation that I purified like one piece of it, but there's like another piece that's still yeah. there or something. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're doing in um, the path of habituation. Is We're not planting the bad seeds again because we've seen emptiness directly, mm-hmm. and we're cleaning out all the negativities, yeah. which then brings us to no more learning where and the Bodhisattva track where at Buddhahood. So they're completely gone and they're not coming back. Yeah, and I, I guess when you seem, you know, got that level of wisdom, it's like easier to know if it's like right now I feel like I'm right. guessing or like hoping mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's working or like, I mean, I believe that it does, but I'm just like hoping that it's working and that it's purified. I don't actually know. 
Yeah, because we can't see it. We can't yeah. see it directly. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, well, I hope that was good enough. Like, yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. And it is working, but we don't. But we don't have the vision to be able to see exactly what to do to get rid of that particular karma. Because yeah. otherwise, we all would have done it. I mean, yeah. we wouldn't. The major unhappinesses in our life would be totally gone already. Because right. we would have known exactly what to do. Or even if we knew what to do, we probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> like, I know exactly what to do, almost, and I still don't do it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. But, <laughs> there's, like, we lack some conviction until we can see it ourselves. Yeah. That, like, know for sure. Because if we... If we really believed in it, we would have done it. We would do all the things that we've been yeah. told to do, you know? If we really believed it. Yeah. Or, like, saw that instant result. Like, I work four yeah. hours a week, and I get my paycheck at the end of the week. So it's, like, it feels very tied together where, like, other stuff right. isn't as tied together. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's really... Karma is really complex. Um... I have a really good recipe that's open here for vegetarian curried corn soup, if anybody wants it. It's I easy, do. too. That sounds really good. It's really good. I'm intrigued. Okay, I'll yeah. send it. Oh, yeah. I need to yeah. remind me okay. the recipe or where you got those cookies that you made a couple weeks ago. Sure. The homemade ones. The homemade, the booth cookies. They were gluten-free. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny got excited about that one. I was talking about them, and then I remember. And then she said, and then we turned it over, and I was like, dude. I sent it to my friend who's breastfeeding right now, and I was like, you deserve this way more than me. Aw, that's nice. What do we have next? Do we have another? Oh, yeah, we do in a second. Yeah. Okay. So the six perfections, who knows the six perfections? Okay. Um, <laughs> we just set ourselves up to have to No. These are the six general activities of a bodhisattva. So if you do these things, your world will change. Mm-hmm. And this, I don't have a slide for this, but this is interesting. Um, Separo tu chinpa. Paral to chimpa. Paral to chimpa. And the Sanskrit is paramita. And it means other side to went, which um, is perfection. So why are they called perfections? Because when you reach Buddhahood, you have perfected them. They are perfected at that point. These aren't talking about activities for people like me or if you guys are who you seem to be because I'm not a Buddha yet we're not Buddhas yet but they get you to perfection mm-hmm. so for us they're Paral Tu Chinje Paral Tu Chinje Paral Tu Chinje which means other side to take you so when to the other side to perfection so for us, they're paral to chinje, and when we're a Buddha, they're paral to chinpa. So when these these six activities, they're called perfections because when you reach Buddhahood, they can be done perfectly. 
That's number one. And number two, they'll bring you to perfection or to Buddhahood. So we're not doing them perfectly right now. Oh, there, it's up there. <laughs> I didn't even... I didn't even know I had a slide for that. I wonder if I have a slide for the next one. Oh, good. Okay. So that's what we just went over. Mm-hmm. We're paral to chinje. I know it. And paramita means perfection. perfection. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like um, the prajna paramita, perfection of yeah. wisdom. Okay. Now, the six perfections, which, if you don't know them now, you'll become very familiar with them over time. The first one, say jimpa. 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 And this is giving. This is giving material objects, dharma, protection, money, food, houses, all, all those kinds of giving. Number two, say sultram. 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 Which is Geshe Sultram. I believe that's the meaning of his, like a lot of these words have multiple meanings, but I believe that's the meaning of his name too. Um, It's an ethical way of life, keeping your vows um, from avoiding the ten non-virtues all the way up to tantric vows. Three, say Supa. 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 Not getting angry when the time is right. The hardest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like when the time is just perfect, someone cuts you off in traffic or yells at you or does something that just sets you off, whatever it is, whatever your personal flavor is. Not getting angry at that time. And people translate this as patience, which Gisha Michael doesn't like because Patience is just not the same thing. Mm-mm. It's really not. Mm-hmm. Patience is like you're okay sitting and waiting in the doctor's office or something, or mm-hmm. I'm okay waiting in line, or you know, mm-hmm. it's just not the same thing. The fourth say sundru. 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 Joyful effort. This is enjoying doing good things. So it's like you really get off on doing good things. You get a charge from them um, out of helping people or going and serving at the homeless breakfast, giving someone money when they ask, whatever it is. It's, it's a joy to do the good things. And I think that this comes about through practice too. The more we practice and start doing the things that we're taught to do, then we notice how good they feel and we understand the karma and all of that and it just kind of feeds on itself. And it's really helpful, especially with your meditation practice, every day to, even if, even if you don't feel it, to just think, awesome, I have the time, I get to meditate whenever you're meditating. And then when you're done, awesome, great job. Such, so amazing that I just did that. Even if you're not feeling it, just do it anyways. It'll start to plant the seeds, you'll feel it ultimately, and then it'll just help your practice along. Do you usually say that out loud? Or do you kind 
Not out loud. I mean, nobody's, I live by myself, so nobody's there. But um, at the end, after I do my prostrations, I, I always go like this, though. <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it, because I think it, if nothing else, you're like just creating that connection of the, the little bit of joy to the practice, and then it just keeps growing and growing. Um, number five of the perfections is some ten. Some ten. Some ten. Which is meditation or concentration. And the six say sherab. Sherab. Which is wisdom. And this is understanding emptiness. And we're going to spend the rest of this course and then the next, I think it's next two courses on these perfections. So we'll really get in-depth knowledge on them. And these are all activities which can give you the karmic energy to become enlightened in this lifetime. So you have to learn them and learn to be good at them. And you can be an office worker on the side or whatever else you're doing in your life on the side. But this is your real career. You must spend your life doing these things. And they're joyful things to be doing. I mean, they're things that are going to lead to getting out of all the suffering that we're in. And the more we start practicing them, we'll start to see it more. We just have to practice them. Otherwise, they're not, you know, not going to work if we don't do them. So it has like a snowball effect. We just have to start doing the practices. Mm -hmm. We're not doing anything else more important with our time anyways. Might as well do something that can possibly get us to full, full awakening, completely free of anger, jealousy, unhappiness, just like discontentment all the time. And Master Shantideva, he gets to one last point. Are these things, these perfections, are they mental or do they depend on outer conditions? So for example, does the perfection of giving, does that mean that you're going to give away money to everyone that you meet? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and if, so if one person is broke, one person around me is broke, does that mean that I haven't perfected the perfection of giving? So no, why? Because there are plenty of Buddhas around and there are still people who need money. Mm -hmm. Perfection means you've perfected the state of mind which wants to do and is totally willing to give up your body, possessions, and your goodness to others. So you want to give everything that you have to help others. Perfecting, that would be forgiving. Um, but perfecting giving doesn't mean that everyone has everything that they want. It means that you're willing to give. Immediately, no hesitation, which would be just so freeing. Mm -hmm. Because you enjoy giving regardless of the outcome, regardless of whether or not anything seems to improve immediately from what you give. And then the human mind goes, oh, then I can just sit at home and perfect giving. And that's the other extreme as well. 
Like that you don't have to actually do anything with other people or um, for the perfection of giving, you don't actually have to give anything to other people. You can just think of it in your mind because the ultimate perfection is perfecting it in your mind, being willing to. But that would be the other extreme. No, not to become a armchair bodhisattva. And it's also forgiving. If you say, I've perfected giving, and you still have something to give others around you to help them, then you haven't perfected it. If you have it, you just give it to them. It's a mental perfection, but it should also display itself outwardly. And it, th these are really, they're really interesting questions. You can look through the reading, too. Another question is, have you not perfected patience if you still have annoying people around you? And no. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a mental thing. You'll still have annoying people. It's not based on that. And this, I find this really comforting because who's been, I think it's Gesha Michael through these courses, but I've been hearing more recently that it's not, um, oh, maybe from Alan Wallace, that even the Buddha had extreme difficulties come up in his life, it's, but he just didn't relate to them in the same way. So it's not that your outer world is going to look perfect as you're on this path, but the inner world will change drastically. And you know, the outer world will change too because your relationship to it changes. But it's not that everything is gonna be perfect, there's not gonna be any annoying people, you're always gonna get what you want. It's not gonna be like that, but, but you will be getting happier and happier. And eventually those things will come to you that you've wanted as well, just from practicing well. But, it, but it's not gonna be the way you think it's gonna be usually. So not to be discouraged when it, when it feels like things aren't changing and going the way you want them to. Sometimes they will and that's great and then sometimes it'll switch and they won't. And both of them are fine. It's not a reflection that your practice is going badly because some negative thing happens. That's not, it's not how it works. It's from something in the past coming up. So not to put too much pressure, like, I mean, the, we seem to see people who have extreme good fortune that look like they're terrible people, too. So it's just, like, you can think of it like that. It's just not from what we're doing in the present. They've been, most likely, very generous in the past. Or, you know, helped a lot of people in past life. And now they're sowing seeds for crappy future. Okay. Does anyone have any questions? I'm going to email you guys this. It's really good. And it was really easy. Are the your PowerPoints like available anywhere for us to like look at them? I can share it with you. Yeah, I would appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And on the ACI website, they have class notes. Okay. Um, gotcha. Two. Oops. And they also have recordings of the show. 
Yeah, and like it's a long time. Like hour and a half or yeah, some sometimes are shorter. Yeah, some of them are like forty minutes or. I would say most of them are like. Okay, two I sent it to you. Yeah. I'll share this. I like listening when I clean my house. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I love listening to stuff when doing things yeah. like that too. Nice. Have you seen Gashi Michaels' um, TED Talk? No. Is that the TED Talk? Yes. Oh. It is. Oh, I want to go see it right now. <laughs> Me too. It was so good. It was like, because I, yeah, he's, it's really good. Okay, I'll look it up, but I know you have talk. On YouTube. Okay. Yeah, I'll look it up. Mm -hmm. So good. Oh, yeah, I'll have to look it up too. <laughs> um, it really let's... talks about things I didn't even know, and he shows video of his time in um, the uh, <laughs> monastery. Yeah. Monastery? is for this class. This is class eight. Mm. Okay. So the meditation is ex examining your mind and life for your most common secondary mental afflictions. So I don't think we have to like remember all 20 of them to be able to tell, but just um, we can, we'll do a little meditation on that little exploration. Just starting by relaxing the body again. Tension melts out of the head and the eyes and the jaw and the shoulders. We'll do um, an analytical meditation looking at your life. You can just look at today if you want or maybe the last few days and seeing if you can identify your most prevalent secondary mental affliction. And it's okay if it's, if it's not exact. Just go based on what you remember. Just noticing what's coming up all the time and how would I label that? And so you're thinking about, thinking back and looking at what's happening. If your mind goes off to some other object, then you've lost the object of meditation and you come back. just exploring on your own for a little bit. 
bringing your mind back when it wanders. Once you've found what it is, focusing single-pointedly on it. And visualizing yourself doing the opposite. Feel like you get some confidence. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the opposite. bright, glittering energy, this goodness, offering it with our highest understanding of emptiness, to getting out of the cycle of suffering completely, reaching Buddhahood for the benefit of all beings, sending that out as 
us in the prayers. Sashi Kuki Chukshing Metal Tram Lira Bunshing and Padi Sange Shingu Mite Wargi Jokun Amnak Shingla Sunnah.